You're listening to McBee Care Threads, a podcast where leaders across the healthcare industry can learn from each other. We'll discuss stories and explore strategies to help providers deliver value-based care and hear your peers share their best practices for success. Let's get into the show. Welcome everyone today for our podcast on the Home Health Final Rule for calendar year 2023. On our panel today is Jeff Aronson, Senior Director of Consulting here at McBee, and Lisa Selman-Holman, VP of Quality and Education, also here at McBee. I am Karen Tibbs, Director of Quality, uh, also at McBee. Let's jump right in. So the final rule was released October the 31st. I'm going to start with you, Jeff. The behavior adjustment was cut in half but it still didn't meet or lessen concerns for payment in 2023. Would you talk a little bit about that? Thanks, Karen. And I think that's right. So I would categorize the rule as perfectly fitting of coming out on Halloween. It's a rule in disguise. In some ways, you can look at it and see that it's it's positive, right? We have a 0.7% increase in payments or $125 million increase in payments. Or you can look at the other side of the rule, which is probably more impactful, that CMS actually increased the behavioral adjustment from 7.69% to 7.85%. What they did this year, though, is they gave a tiny bit of a reprieve and said, we're only going to apply half of that, or 3.925% to the rule for 2023, with the rest coming in future years, including the 7.85%. Uh, behavioral adjustment or budget neutrality adjustment, as they call it. So in in some ways, there's some good points in the rule, but overall, CMS really doubled down on their their logic, their their flawed logic, that, that there's been overpayments in the system and that they need to make permanent changes to reduce the amount of payments going to home health. So, you know, from that respect, I think there's uh, a lot of negativity out there. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done from an advocacy standpoint to make sure that the administration, Congress are aware that you know, no cut to home health is a good idea. Uh, you know, and being flat this year is only a slight bit of a reprieve for what's coming in the future. What's interesting is when you actually get into the rule itself, and, and you see that, you know, on a total basis, there's a 0.7% increase over the $125 million. The actual per period payment amount goes down by $21. So in reality, if everything's staying equal, your your case mix stays equal, your wage index stays equal, you actually end up with less payment based on the rule. The way that they get to an increase is through a lot of just um, slight changes within the rule through outlier adjustments or looper rates decreasing, adding some more full period payments into the model. That's where overall it increases. But the fact of the matter is many providers, if not most providers, are still going to have a negative impact from the rule. Um, so, you know, I think there are still a lot of challenges that we have uh, within the industry in communicating to uh, the administration, to CMS, to Congress, and to others that uh, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done to improve the the payment landscape within home health. So other than advocacy, what strategies can agencies implement to remain financially viable in 2023? 
So I think a couple of things. So we, when you look back on how PDGM was first created, and I actually think it's a, it's a really good model if you work it the right way. And what, what I mean by that is the model was built on reimbursing providers for the resources needed to take care of patients with certain characteristics. If you have an imbalance of how you score patients or how you provide resources to those patients, you get this imbalance that causes you to be, um, you know, in a difficult financial situation. If if you're challenged with providing too many resources to patients that that frankly don't need it based on their characteristics, then that overutilization is going to cause you uh, some significant difficulties. Conversely, if you have a deficiency in how you score your patients, your Oasis education, your uh, intake and comorbidity recording process to where you're not scoring the patients correctly to their acuity, then you're not going to get reimbursed for the patient for the resources that you're providing to that patient. So, you know, I think providers need to look at that really closely and making make sure that your your education and your OASIS review process is as perfectly tuned as possible. So you're getting those patient characteristics correct. And then on the other hand, that your utilization, your visit utilization, the number of periods you're, you're getting are matching those patients' characteristics, that you're providing the right resources to the right patients at the right time in order to uh, remain financially viable under PDGM. So I think those are the keys. And then, you know, expanding on that, you know, it's not necessarily a direct uh, piece of PDGM, but the, but the issue of recertification, I see this time and time again that patients that are of extreme acuity go in and out of the hospital are getting one period, maybe two periods. And we see a huge difference between what, what the recertification rate is from high performing providers, providers that are four, four and a half, five star agencies from ones that are the lower end of the scale. And what it also uh, shows is that taking care of the patients over the full 60 days or longer results in a much lower uh, rehospitalization rate. And so those are the key things that providers need to look at as they're uh, examining the rule, examining their business and how to uh, remain as you know, financially viable as they can with the the headwinds that we're facing within the industry. Okay, so collecting those characteristics of the patients um, brings us to the finalization of Oasis E, um, also expanding uh, value-based purchasing, and then that all-payer Oasis collection. Uh, we have few, very few surprises from what was proposed even though there was a lot of concern out there about successful implementation under the reimbursement cuts. So if we start with Oasis E, um, this is the biggest change we've seen to the data set. Uh, and I feel like I say that every time it's updated. <laughs> the time burden that goes along with Oasis E, that's what we hear agencies are concerned about. Uh, Lisa, how do you think this version is going to impact time in the home and how can agencies prepare for this now? So we have several items that are longer and uh, they are not payment items. They are not items specifically for value-based pro uh, the program for uh, outcomes themselves, but they're very important in our risk adjustment and we have to get them right. Now, Medicare estimates that we are going to spend 
57 minutes on um, a start of care. But that is actually just input, data input is not the actual assessment. And if you consider the BIMS itself, for example, you have to wait five seconds for them to respond, and then you have to wait 30 seconds for them to respond. It is Medicare estimates two and a half minutes once we get over the learning curve. So one of the things that agencies need to do now is practice with these new items. Some of them are not going to take very much time, although some patients may balk at some of the questions that are asked, and we need, may need to just explain to them why we're asking these questions. But when you get to the BIMS and the PHQ-2, which is now the PHQ-9, if you have certain scores, that's going to take quite a bit more time, and it's going to take even more time if you're Clinicians are not ready for these items. They need to be well-educated with them and they need to practice prior to January 1st, 2023. So I would estimate um, adding at least a half an hour onto our assessment time uh, in the beginning, at least to get over the learning curve. Wow. So before we move to value-based purchasing, let's stay on the topic of OASIS and quickly address all payer OASIS collections. So lots of concerns mm -hmm. there with the time burden also, as well as extra staffing <laughs> that's going to be required. Um, in the final rule, CMS did uh, really discounted the concerns from uh, that were voiced and really stated that many agencies never stopped collecting all payer data to begin with and that they should already have a process in place that can be used to collect this data. Uh, do you think CMS's counterpoints are significant to lessen agency concerns? Um, partly yes, partly no. Uh, that When you ask agencies if they're still collecting OASIS on those non-Medicare Medicaid patients, many of them will say they are. However, they're not doing the quality assurance reviews on those OASIS that they do on the Medicare um, OASIS. Even the Medicare Advantage plan patients do not get the same review as the Medicare traditional patients. So we have a certain percentage of agencies out there that have been doing the OASIS on all patients, even you know their group insurance, their TRICARE, all those patients, they've been doing OASIS on all of them. Uh, but they may not have done the QA. So that is an increase in time as well. For those agencies that have not been doing the OASIS on those other patients, then that's uh, quite an increase. Medicare estimates a 30% increase in the number of OASIS assessments to get all the OASIS data collection in place for all these um, people. So that is quite a big difference. Now, when you look at you know, separating it out, and Medicare talked about separating it out and how much time they're, they're using to separate those patients out. For the most part, that's done by your EMR so that, you know, when you answer a one, two, three, or four on MU150, it knows that it needs to prepare that OASIS data for transmission to the iKeys. If you check any other payer on MU150, it does not uh, transmit that data. So, that is mostly done by the EMR. So I don't think that's time saved at all because um, it's not something a manual, it's not a manual process. 
Um, it is going to be significant. We have a phase in period of January 1st, 2025 uh, through June 30th, 2025, so that if you're not transmitting those, there'll be no penalty for failure, but there'll be a required submission from patients discharged between July 1st, 2025 and June 30th. 2026, and that will all be for the Quality Reporting Program, or QRP, year of CY 2027. So that's a ways away, but it's probably something that we probably should get uh, ready for if you're an agency that's not doing OASIS now. Uh, for all those patients, you're just doing the comprehensive assessment as required by the conditions of participation. Uh, then you may consider starting with Oasis E even, since you're doing it anyway, it's all brand new, uh, starting to do Oasis E on all your patients, except for your pediatric patients and your pre and postnatal patients that do not require um, a HIPS code. So just start doing it on everyone. Great advice. So this leaves value-based purchasing that we want to talk about. Um, how does that finalization of that baseline year to 2022 change things? Okay, so there was a, some confusion about what baseline year was, and so it doesn't really matter in the end, I guess, because they changed it to 2022 for both. But the model baseline year is where we're going to have the achievement and the benchmark. So the benchmark um, is set at 90% in a 10% decel. And uh, there's your achievement. Now, the problem with that is we won't get our achievement numbers until uh, July 2023. And so what we'll have to begin with, and Medicare's already issued a report on November 7th that you can obtain in your iKeys, is the baseline year data. And that is your own baseline uh, data for your agency. So you can see where you are what percentile you are in, and then what the different levels are. They give you the, the all the data for your cohort. And so you know what you should be looking for and what you should be looking at. So, you know, what is, what is the data that you could move the needle on easily? So, for example, um, this agency that I'm looking at, the improvement in dyspnea is 80.862, which puts them in the 25th to 49th percentile. And then it gives the uh, 25th percentile is 74.909, which we don't want to go down, of course. Fifth, 50th percentile is 85.275, 75th percentile 91.381. So this is the uh, CY 2022 pre-implementation performance report, again, available on iKeys as of November 7th. So I encourage everyone to go ahead and, and get your reports and see where you stand. And uh, it even has the TNC, the total normalized composite change in mobility and change in self-care there for what you're at and uh, the negative change, positive change, and uh, where you can go from there. So I, I suggest everyone get their reports now and, and start looking at those because uh, this, this is our year right here, 2022, unless you're a new agency, of course. Okay. So Lisa, Jeff, thank you for your good information today. Any final words before we end? I would just say that 
you know, like I said earlier, we really need to keep up the fight on the advocacy front. That there's still work to be done with Congress and with the administration to uh, ward off the you know, impending uh, budget neutrality adjustments that we're going to face into the future. Okay. And I was saying that the um, the data that Medicare gave us as far as where we are on quality reporting, um, as a whole, the industry looks pretty good uh, post-pandemic. And so that's why Medicare switched it to 2022. And it's just important that we keep up. And you cannot just uh, sit on your laurels and let everyone else pass you by. So uh, keep going. Okay. So thank you for tuning in. As we navigate the 2023 Home Health Final Rule, McBee is dedicated to providing organizations with tools and resources to succeed. At McBee, we understand the challenges providers face across the healthcare landscape. For more than 45 years, we've been a part of the evolution of the healthcare industry. Our strategic advisory solutions span the home health, hospice, health system, and senior living care continuums, creating improved clinical, financial, and operational outcomes. Our expertise is guaranteed. Our solutions empower. Visit us today at mcbeeassociates.com. Thank you for listening to McBee Care Threads. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. For more information on the topics discussed today, visit our website at mcbeeassociates.com. Until next time.